I have the privilege of reading the Word of God this morning. Our scripture reading will be coming from Matthew 13, 24 through 43. Like in the churches I grew up, when you, say, when you have it, say amen. Matthew 13, 24 through 43. Come on, part church. Amen. The parable of the weeds. He put another parable before them, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then... How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do what, do what, excuse me, then do you want us to go and gather them? Then he said, no, lest it gathering the weeds, you rooted up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. The mustard seed and the leaven. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Prophecy and parables. All these things said, Jesus said to the crowds is in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. The parable of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciple came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the son of, ki- of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest in the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels." Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into a fiery furnace. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the kingdom of their father, he who has ears, let him ear. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. There you go. There's an arm button. There you go. Hey, good morning. How are you? Come on. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, Man, it is good to see you all. Man, those who are here in person and those who are watching online. Welcome. Uh, my name is Miguel, and I'm one of the pastors here. If I can get this mic in. There we go. We'll figure it out. But um, 
Man, it is a joy to sit before you all um, and hear God's word. And as we get ready to dive in, dive in. Is that me? Oh, see, when you got a good beer game like mine, <laughs> you know, it kind of, it kind of, yeah, you got to tame that mane a little bit, you know. <laughs> no. Hey, but uh, it is a joy to be before you all. Um, man. Let's go before the Lord in prayer to hear what he has to say about this uh, passage here as we deal with wheat and weeds and mustard seed and leaven. Um, I believe that God wants to speak to us today um, because his word is living and active. And so let's take a moment and let's go before the Lord. And remember he's real. And he invites us to rest in him. Father, how good and faithful you are. How holy and majestic is your name. Father, I pray right now that people will receive your invitation to come to you and find rest. Truth is, life is unexpected and we carry a lot of burdens. But I'm so glad that we don't have to carry them ourselves. And so, God, I'm asking you, please, to flood this place with your spirit. Give us a greater awareness of your spirit. Help us to see you, feel you, In this moment, speak life to us, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict where we need to be convicted, grow us, Father, where we need to be grown. God, may we be people that are dependent upon you, so open up our eyes to see the wonderful thing of your word, the wonderful things of your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in my sight. Or in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And as one church, we all together say it. Amen. Every Sunday, there's two teams that line up across each other on the football field. And the reality is that they all have one common goal. It's to win. It's to win every match, every quarter, and ultimately the game. But that's not it, though. Their goal is, every team that play, they're going to try to win a championship. But the unforeseen thing about this is that they cannot predict the outcome. There's only one team that stands at the end of every season that gets to hoist the trophy to say that they are champions, all the while to celebrate it for a moment to go back and try to do it again. And the truth is, some teams don't make it back the next year. That's kind of what was going to happen to my Chiefs, to be honest. We're looking a little rough. (laughs) But these are people who line up who is having the hope and expectation for a certain outcome. And the reality of it is, is that they don't know, and many people go on and on, playing long careers, never experiencing victory of a championship. 
Why do I use that? Because the reality of this is here, is that here on earth, the reality is there is two teams, two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The question B is, which team, which kingdom do you belong to? And if you are a believer here today, we need to be reminded that we know how the story ends. We know what is to come, but we need to be encouraged. We need perseverance because it's rough getting there, as we're going to see today. And the truth is that everybody here, we get discouraged. We get discouraged and want to give up hope when our expectations and our misconception of what life, of what life is in the kingdom is when they're not met. When expectations, when misconceptions don't go as we see, we lose hope. But I um, want to remind you of this simple truth today that we'll see in this text. Today reminds some of us and introduced to others that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God will continue to grow in power and influence and nothing can stop it. Let me say that again. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, or the, I believe they're one and the same here, will continue to grow in power and influence, and nothing can stop it. You see, we come to this passage here where Jesus is giving parables to his disciples, and he's talking to the broader crowd, but we'll see that he explains more specifically to a smaller bunch. But what he has to do in this text here is that he is giving his people hope in a really hostile moment. He's helping them see beyond right now. He's helping them see the now, but to know that more is to come and there's something on the other side of this. Because you got to understand, they're experiencing hostility. They're pressing up against Jesus. They're, they're, they're turning against the kingdom. They, they're upset because this Messiah isn't coming like they expected. They, they're like, is there a misconception of what I thought the Messiah will come and do? It's important to know, family of God, that the kingdom will prevail. And the kingdom citizens have hope to know that there is a judgment to come and God will see us through. Here's what I want to say this in its very simplest form, what the kingdom of heaven is or the kingdom of God. I believe that Dr. Tony Evans sums this up in one sentence really well for us. Pastor Gary preached last week and unpacked a little bit more of the kingdom and the parables, but to kind of concise it, a little bit for us is simply this the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life. And we know this is to be the case that Jesus comes. And he goes to the cross, and he's bringing in a new kingdom. In fact, he goes before Pontius Pilate, and in John chapter 18, there's a conversation that happens, and Pilate is asking him who he is, and Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
For if my kingdom was of this world, there would be people ready to fight for me. What he is saying is that I am bringing a new kingdom here on earth that is contrary, that is not to what the expectation that you or anybody else thinks. He's not coming as the militant, trying to revolt, trying to turn it over his head. No, he's coming with compassion, grace, mercy. He's going after the soul to flip this kingdom upside down. So what happens here is that we see in this text these parables here. These three parables that I believe that at face value seems to be disjointed, but when you bring them together, they actually woven and fit well with one another. Now, here's what we're going to do. We see here in verses 24 through 30, you have the explaining of the wheat and the weeds. Hey, can I just say something? I might say weed, all right, but I meant weeds. So give me some grace here, you know. When I get a little excited, I get going, I tend to stumble over my words here. But, you know, walk with me. Come on, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but what we're going to do here is instead, I will, we will look at 24, 30, and really at verse 36, 36 and 43, explaining the wheat and the weeds. And so I'll kind of bounce back between the two. As we explain about here these weeds and these weeds, and what does it mean and how does it have implications for us here today? But what we see in the, fir- in the weeds and the weeds is this, is that, which is hard for us. Hear me out. We can coexist even in an evil world. We can coexist with others while there's evil in the world. But we coexist not without hope because we know that there is a judgment that is to come. Let's unpack here and let's see what we're talking here. He gives this parable of of the wheat and the weeds. What's fascinating here is that he he sits here and says there's someone that goes out. The man goes out, sow the seeds, and then the servant realizes, hey, did you not sow wheat? What what happened? There's weeds in here. What's going on? And as they go to their master, their master, the master sits here and says, yeah, the enemy has done that. And just like any good farmer or, or, or servant at that time, they said, well, look, you want us to go rip them up? We can go handle that right now. And the master's like, no, nah, don't worry. We'll let the reapers handle that. The time is coming. The time is coming. Here's what we know about weeds. See, weeds is, a, is, is like a weed-like it is a wheat-like seed. It's barnal is what in that time it was. And so what will happen, and the reason why this is such a big deal, is that the reality is, is that the wheat and the, and the weeds as a seed, as they grow up, they're really indistinguishable. They're almost like one and the same. But what happens is that as they grow, you're able to see as they mature, as the fruit, as the ears of them grow and blossom, then you are able to distinguish the two. And see, the reason why this was a big deal, and they understood in this time, in this agriculture language, uh, was was that the weeds would intertwine its roots with the wheat. And as they're growing, the weeds would suck some of the nutrients that is meant for the wheat 
And therefore, the weed can't get the nutrients as, as much as it probably should because there's this counterfeit weed-like that is taking place. Walk with me. We'll be, a little, we'll be doing a little bit of teaching here. Just walk with me today. There you go. Told you the man, man. Beer game. Um, so, you have this weed-like thing that looks up, that comes up, that sucks nourishment and takes it from the wheat. And so now you see why the servants are like, hey, this is a kind of a big deal. Let us go ahead and handle this. But what we see the master says, which ultimately is Jesus saying, is that, hey, don't uproot them right now. We'll handle that at harvest time. So the question becomes to us, and as we look here and we'll see these weeds or the seeds thereof, is the sons of the kingdom, the wheat, excuse me, is the son of the kingdom, meaning those who respond to Jesus, those who respond and hear the word of God, the sower is the, the, sower is the son of man, Jesus, who is spreading the seeds of his kingdom throughout the whole world. The enemy is Satan. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, meaning Satan is taking seeds of those who are influenced by him and sprinkling them as well where God is trying to sprinkle his seeds for the kingdom. Now, notice something here. When you look at verse 28, the servants had a desire to rip them up, but the master told them no. Why? Here's why. Because it was not their job to do it. It was not their job to do it. In fact, we see that the reapers, as Jesus explains, the reapers are the angels who is that's their job and their responsibility. And as I mentioned before, if they were to do it, they will cause great damage. Many of us like today that when we live in a world where evil exists and when we see it, and as we see things, we have the temptation to put ourselves as judge and execution of life and say, this person needs to be removed. When reality is that that could cause more damage than we know. Because the truth is, oftentimes, we don't know the heart and souls of people. And what we'll also see here is that sometimes people can change too, Right? They interact with God, they hear the word, the seed is planted, and now they respond. And how they once were evil, now they're not anymore. Hey, don't look too far because that was the same for many of us who believed in Jesus. We were once sons of this world, of the enemy, in darkness, in bondage, because our kingdom was that of the Satan. But yet God, in his great mercy, took you from the dominion of darkness, transferred you into his marvelous light. So before we get too quick to want to decide who's in the kingdom, let us be careful not to try to remove them. Because 2 Peter tells us that God is slow to return so that giving people an opportunity to repent. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that he ain't came back and gave me an opportunity to repent. Okay? So I have this question here. If there is evil in the world, and we know that the harvest time represents the end time, as it says, 
then the question begs, then how do we live? What does that mean to actually coexist in a world that is evil? What do we practically do? How do we live this out? Because I submit to you today, we don't just sit here and twiddle our thumbs. No, because in God's kingdom, he calls us to be active agents in this kingdom. Because everyone who believes in Christ, that puts their hope and trust in who Jesus did as their Savior, has a responsibility and a purpose in the kingdom of God. So the question becomes, what do we do until that time comes? Here's some things that I believe that I've drawn out from this that it lets us know. One, we coexist. We coexist. We live with the people. We live with one another. We live in a realm where this is to take place. But we do it by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus has done. That's how we do it. Because that is the foundation that gives us the strength to be able to persevere in the midst of difficult and trying times until we get to the final judgment. Because I don't know about you today, but if you keep living long enough, there'll be some problems that come around. Seriously. Some that you welcome, some that you don't like, some that gives you confusion because it hits you out of nowhere. And then you got to ask yourself, how do I respond? How do I live in the midst of this? In the kingdom of God, as God's kingdom is, as his rule and his reign is over all things, we have a responsibility and purpose to live out. And what are we doing that time as we're waiting for that time to come? What we can do is be patient with people. We can be peacemakers in this time. We can be gracious. We can be merciful. We can be compassionate. We can be forgiving. We can be, uh, we can be engaging. We can show honor to one another. We can intercede on one another. We can be sacrificial. And hear me, this is those who are in the kingdom, but also those who are not part of the kingdom. Because what we do know is that the Bible says that you are to love your enemies. You are to pray for your enemies. So what we cannot do is escape and be done with people because we don't know if they will respond to the kingdom of God. And it is our job to take the kingdom of God. We are his visible representation here on earth. Okay? That's what we do. So as we go about in life, we are representing the kingdom everywhere we go. What else can we do as we wait? What we can do is to know that our peace comes from God in troubled times, as John 17 talks about. Because he says, you will go into the world and have tribulation, but peace I give you, not as the world give you. Okay? What happens is we can also know that we are overcomers because of our faith. Let me read to you 1 John chapter 5 at verse 3 and 4. Here's what it says. This is how we live. How do we, how do we coexist? Knowing that evil is present, present with us, we know that there's an end time coming. We don't know when that time's coming, but we have to make it day to day. What does that look like for us practically? Here's what it says also. We, hold, we, know, we have to know that we are overcomer because of our faith. Here's what it says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You hear that? 
Let me say that again. His commandments are not burdensome. So when God issues his rule on here on earth, when he says, this is how you live in my kingdom, you move like this, you think like this, you act like this in a way that represents my kingdom. Listen, it's not burdensome. Is it difficult? Yes. Why? Because we are sinful beings still. And our flesh wants what we want. And so when God says, go forgive that person, and you say, I don't want to, but then you remember, he forgave me even when I didn't deserve to be forgiven. Okay? It's important to know his commands are not burdensome. Hear me now, because I know I have to remember when I don't want to do what God says I should do in his rule and reign, he reminds me and says, hey, I run this show. So because of that, it's hard. I give you the power of the Holy Spirit to press through, but it's not burdensome. Press on. Let's keep going. He says in verse 4 of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God, here it is, born of God overcomes the world. Okay? And he says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. Our faith. Who is it that exists, uh, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we know that we are overcomers because of our faith. We have victory even though we experience turmoil and defeat from today. We experience defeat on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You keep going. But we know that we have victory because of our faith. That doesn't mean we won't experience bruises. It doesn't mean that we won't get wounds. It doesn't mean that we won't wound others. But we know ultimately we can overcome because of our faith, because of what he has done. What else do we do as we coexist here? Okay? What we do is that we live out our unique design and purpose. Where do I get that from? We get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about how there was been, there's been given various gifts that is empowered by the Spirit, get this, for the common good. For the common good. What does that mean here? Let me say this. When you go into a kitchen, the refrigerator has a purpose. It keeps things cold. It keeps things, it preserves things. You have the oven that heats things, that make things hot, that can store things and keep it warm until it's time to eat. You have a microwave that can heat things up quickly. You have a blender that can process things. Why do I use that? But although they're all in the kitchen, they have unique different purposes to be able to get the function, that, to get done what needs to get done. And they all work because they are dependent on the electricity that gives them the ability to move. So what am I saying here is that each of us have a unique design that God has given us wherever we live, wherever we work, in that we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that we all have in common that helps us live out our unique design and function. So that is what we are called to do. We remember our unique design and know where the power comes from. Not ourselves. Because what we have, if you live long enough, we cannot muster up things. We cannot white knuckle our way to the end. If we do, we destroy ourselves and destroy others along the way. But we can be dependent on the Spirit as we live out our unique design. One thing that we can also do is that we remember Ephesians chapter 6. So that we put on the armor of God. Why is that so important? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us and reminds us that our wrestle, our, our, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, 
but it's against the spiritual realm, the rulers and authorities and the powers. Hear me now. Now, let me unpack this a little bit for you here. This is important for us to know. People inherently are not your enemy. Here's why we got to understand that. They may be influenced, they are influenced by the spiritual realm because remember what I said earlier, you're part of one or two kingdoms. You're part of God's kingdom or you're part of Satan's kingdom. And whoever is your kingdom, whoever is your God, your Lord, influences you and you move in that regard. So if you're able to forgive and be compassionate and do the, ter- uh, the trace that God calls us to do, that means you are pulling your power from the Holy Spirit, from the Lord. You are bringing heaven here on earth to live that out. But on the flip side, that when you do evil things, or when people do evil things, they are influenced by the spiritual realm, mainly the devil. I think that's important for us to know. So we have to, as we coexist in an evil world, suit up with the armor of God because there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place. And tell me, here's why you got to, oh my God, help me Holy Spirit. The reason why we have to do that is because the wheat and the weeds are indistinguishable until they root up. So that means that there will be, and we have to live in this tension, there are counterfeit Christians that exist in the world. Get this, and exist in the church. But if our main job is to try to pull people apart and say, you don't belong here, you don't belong here, we do great damage. Because the one who knows the soul is God, not us. Okay? We have to be dependent on the Spirit. So how do we coexist? We believe in the foundation of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection. We live out the characteristics that he puts in as his rule and reign, that Jesus models for us. We know that God is our peace in troubled times. We know that we can overcome because of our faith. We live out our unique design. And we put on the full armor of God because the warfare is real. Now, on the flip side is this. How do you know if you're, the, how do you know if you're in the kingdom of Satan? Well, you don't live out anything that was just said. You're selfish all the time. Hear me, continually, perpetually. This is your state. You're selfish. You cause strife. You're greed. You love the world more than you love God. You use hateful speech. You have selfish ambition. Hear me, get this. Selfish ambition that has nothing to do with God and his kingdom. Because all you care about is me, myself, and I. And you don't, and get this, and when you've had an opportunity or when you hear the word of God, you're not responding to the word of God. So understand, remember in the parables, he breaks down in the second half, in the back half of this, he says, who are the weeds? The weeds are the sons of the evil one, meaning they did not respond to God's word and they are not living out God's word. Okay, that's important for us to know. So if you find yourself here today on a continuing, consistent basis, and I think that's important because we imperfect, we mess up. Can we admit that? We struggle. You could come and have a good Holy Ghost party, and then somebody tick you off, and you'd be like, oh, where did that come from? No, nah, that's in you. That ain't going nowhere. Because you're ready, you ready, you ready to turn this thing upside down. Because you're about to show them that, hey, I ain't one to be played with. So I'm not saying about that you can't mess up. Hear me. Don't hear me say that you got to be perfect. There's only one who is perfect. But we're talking about the state of someone's identity, the state of their being, how they move and how they function. But here's what's beautiful in verse 30. If we go back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 30. 
man, here's what's beautiful about this. He says, hmm, let both grow up until harvest time. Wow. Why is that fascinating? Why is that such important? I've already told you what weeds do. They suck the nourishment. Historically, when you look at that time, it sucks the nourishment that really should be going to the wheat. There's nothing good about that. But yet he says, let them grow up together. Hmm. What's interesting about this, if I could use my spiritual imagination for a hot moment here, not once does it mention that the wheat will be lacking when it grows. My God. Hear me out. What am I saying? Although there is counterfeit, although there may be weeds like in the kingdom of God, hear me, not just the church, but the world, because it talks about how the fields is the world. This isn't just to the church only exclusively. This is to his world, the world. Because remember, the kingdom of God is his, his, his comprehensive rule and reign over everything. Okay? But what we see here is that he says, let them grow together. That lets us know that even though they grow up together, we see here that the wheat does not lack the nourishment that it still needs. Because what does that let us know? Because the seeds that God sows cannot be overcome or overpowered by the enemy. He's in control. He's sovereign over all. He knows who did it because he said, oh, that's the enemy that did it. Let them grow together. Uh, we're going to handle that at the time. And he has a plan in place. And so we can rest assured and know that as we live in the midst of this evil world, in the midst of evil, he has a plan in place that coexists. I mean, that exists to bring justice to all. Now, I think this is important for us to say, to know. Why does God allow evil and suffering in the world? Because that's a legit question. What's important to know is that evil does not come from God. I think we got to understand that God does not, God is not evil. Evil does not come from him. And understand this, for God to eradicate evil out the world, he has to do exactly what's going to happen at the end. He has to, get this, all creation has to be purged of its evilness at the final judgment. And get this, all of uh, um, the recreation of the universe in the end has no sin that resides in it. Because here, the thing, what I'm saying is this, is that even those who submit themselves to the kingdom of God, we sin at times. We fall short. We miss the mark. We are eternally sealed by the blood of Christ because of what he has done on Calvary's cross. But there is the already not yet, there is the application of still, the sanctification here on earth that we still have to live out. So even when you ask the question, why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Understand that we still have evil tendencies. What do I mean? We still sin is what I'm saying. And so to eradicate all that is going to happen at the end and the judgment where he's going to make all things new and it will be purged and it will be cleansed from all that. How do we know that? Because now we see here, if you would draw your eyes. He says that what we see is judgment is coming, and he unpacks this judgment in verse 40. If you look at verse 40 with me, it says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather the king, excuse me, they will gather out of his kingdom, God's kingdom, 
Notice that it went from fields to now his kingdom, meaning because he's establishing all things. And he will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin and lawless and lawbreakers. And he will throw them in the furry furnace. Excuse me. Furry furnace. There you go. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashings of teeth. And he says in verse 43, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let them hear. What is very clear is that Jesus is the son. Look at this. The man that sold the, 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 man that sold the seeds is the son of man. And if you look at verse 41, it says the son of man will send his angels. What it is showing in position that Jesus is the judge and author and authority of all things, and he commands his angels to gather them out. Jesus has control not only to the church, but to the cosmos here, family. That's what's important here. That's what we see is taking place. Because what happens is, is that, like I said, the world is the field, as it says. And he is taking, and what we see is that he is taking all that he had, all the seeds of the kingdom, and he's sprinkling throughout the world. And notice when it says he gathers all of evil men and women out of the kingdom. And what this is saying is that all that has caused sin, all that sit here and say, guess what, you sin, you call sin, but you also lead people into sin. You're going to be taken out. You break the law, you're leading people into breaking the law. And what it says that we know the end judgment is coming is that they will be put in the furnace fire and that they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? To be unpacking, it's just going to be pure misery. To at the final judgment, to not be in the eternal presence of God and to dwell with him because you did not put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. What happens because you are sons of the kingdom, therefore you will be pulled out. People will be pulled out. And when I say you, I'm saying those who are not believing who Jesus Christ is, okay? You will be pulled out and there will be great misery. It will be great misery is what really it is extracting and saying to us. But here's what's beautiful. It says that the righteous will shine like the sun. The righteous are the ones who put their hope in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And they're able to shine because they, they realize that what Jesus did on the cross, therefore... I'm covered by his blood, and I submit to that. I submit to his rule and his reign. And the righteous people not only perform righteous deeds, but they led others to do righteousness. Do you see where I'm going here? And they shine like the sun in his kingdom because all sin has been removed, and they're clean as their original state, as God intended. So we shine bright like a diamond, baby, not because we all that, but because Jesus, in his great sovereignty and his goodness, Went to the cross, hear me now, and when he was up there, when he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he said, God, forgive them for what they not know what they do. So surely, as we live and coexist in a world with evil that people experience in doing evil things and affects us, we can forgive them because our king hung on a cross and said, forgive them for not knowing what they do. And because of that, he defeated death, he rose from the grave, and we sit under his power and his rule, and therefore the blood of Christ drips over us, and we shine because we are clean because of him, not because of us. Now, to get ready to wrap this up, you're like, all right, why do we spend so much time on the weeds? Because it took a short time. These parables with the leaven and the mustard seed is really short, and we're going to hit this real quick. What we see in verse 33, and what we see in verse 31 and 33 is this, Okay? That the kingdom of God begins small, but it leads to powerful growth. 
It leads to powerful growth. And what he's trying to get to the disciples to say is, hey, do not smile. Do not be enamored or hypnotized by things that are big. Do not be too consumed on the outside because I am working in a way that is going to grow and produce fruit beyond what we can even imagine. And he uses the mustard seed of that time in that culture was the smallest seed that there was. That was the smallest seed that there was. But as it grew, it could grow, some would say, even to maybe uh, um, uh, 8 to 13 feet, depending on what it is. But what we see in the text, it says that it grew bigger than all the other plants in the garden. And then as the result of that, it says, so that what? So that the birds of the air can make their nest in the branches. Interesting here. It may be believed that there's alluding to the Ezekiel chapter 17, and particularly verse 23, where it talks about how there's birds of every kind that is nesting on this mighty cedar, uh, cedar tree. So what we do know is that as the kingdom grows, do not sm- uh, despise the small beginning. It's growing, and it produces a, a place for birds to nest in. Get this, not just kingdom nest birds, but probably could it be the common grace that even non-believers can camp in there. Interesting here. Could be a flip side to that. But what we do know is that what grows in us as the kingdom grows, it's not just for ourselves only. What we do in God's kingdom is not for ourselves, but the advancement for his kingdom and his glory. So let us, therefore, not to be so inwardly focused, thinking that God's plant me here to get mines and to advance my career. Everything needs to be up and to the right. But yet it is an outward focus saying that I'm going to produce fruit for the kingdom so that others can experience the goodness and glory that I have experienced with him. And so what he also uses at the leaven, in the leaven, he says that you take this yeast and he uses it in a positive sense. What's fascinating about this is that normally leaven or yeast is used in a negative sense. But here he uses it in a positive sense and the leaven is mixed in with the flour. A small batch of leaven mixed in with the flour and what we see is that it rises from the inside out and it, sh- and it changes the shape and the size of the dough that's there that the leaven is in. What that is symbolizing is that that God in his kingdom and his rule is not consumed with the glitz and glamour, but what is internal in the heart. And that's why his kingdom is unseen sometimes because he is after a different type of spiritual dynamic. He is here to restore the soul first, not all that exterior stuff. And so what is inside of us, get this, it is able to grow out and affect the things that he has planted us. Why does that have, why is that so powerful? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is what gives us the, the advancement of the kingdom as we go out to our respective places. So when you are a teacher, when you are a finance field, when you are in a medical field, when you are a stay-at-home mother, when you are a mortgage broker, when you are a social worker, God is sprinkling all little seeds of kingdom around everywhere, and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that when you interact with your coworker, you engage with them in such a way that points them to Jesus, and they say, hey, why are you like this? And you say, I met a man named Jesus. You want to hear about him? That's why it's important we have to know this. So let me leave you with this. God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over all. He will see his plan through. He will see his plan through. And he grows his kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we are beneficiaries of that. 
And so in the midst of this, let me say this, family, what God has called us to do as a church here is to do kingdom work, and kingdom work is dependency work, which is hard work. And we live in a culture where we are told you get to say your truth. You get to dictate what you want to do. You speak what it is. Don't let no one tell you. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Hear me, family. If you are in the kingdom of God, it is dependency work. And that is hard to do. But it's able to be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we move forward, let us not be so consumed with ourselves. Help us to be dependent. Help us trust God. Let us be people that trust God. When he says, no, leave them there. And the hardest thing for us to do is to do this. It's to let go and trust that he knows best, he knows well. And in response to that, we live in a way that gives glory and honor to him. That makes his name great. And that people get to see heaven on earth until that time comes. So may we be dependency people that rest in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because without it, we will do great damage if we try to uproot things. We will do great damage if we despise the small beginnings. We will do great damage if we're more consumed about putting on a facade like we got it going on versus then transforming our hearts from the inside because he's able to do it. So may we be people in his kingdom here, Park Church downtown, that is dependent on our king. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. And the truth is, Father, as we live out this word, it is difficult at times. Because if we're honest, we want what we want, the way we want it, and how we want it. And one of the most challenging things to do is surrender all of our life to you. But, God, I pray that we would do such a thing. To know that the kingdom that you are establishing in the world is far greater than our own little kingdom agenda that we have. So help us to be people that depend on your spirit that is depending on the power of Christ, of the Holy Spirit, to bring glory and honor to your name. In your son Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Take a moment and reflect. What did God say to you? What do you need to relinquish control in your life? What areas do you need to be dependent upon the Spirit? Take a moment, reflect, we'll come back, and we'll feast on this meal. Family, so we get to come here, and we get to feast on this meal. And this is a reminder that the kingdom has come and will continue to move forward. And so we take a piece of the bread, which represents Christ's body that's broken for us. And we take the cup that represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And so we eat and drink and remember Christ's death until he comes. Let us feast on this meal until Christ comes.
Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, we are so grateful for your steadfast love, uh, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, uh, for your mercies that are new towards us and for us every day. And to be your people, uh, to be uh, children of a Father who has steadfast love and grace, whose faithfulness reaches to the heavens uh, is a gift. And so would you help us to hope in you, trust in you, would you part your spirit on us right now? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, if, if I don't know you, my name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors at Park Church uh, broadly, and just a, a joy to be with you all again. I was here, I think, last week. And, uh, and just want to take a moment for those of you that are on the mailing list, you saw that we sent out an email this week, and just want to take a moment and talk to that. I'm going to have Matt come and share a little bit uh, about that. I know emails where we're communicating Things like this can raise a ton of questions, and we felt the weight of those questions. If you're new to Park or this is your first time or not on the email list, I'm just going to explain a little bit. If you don't know, Park Church downtown started as a merger between two existing churches. And so Park Church, which has a congregation up in the Highlands, and then Grace City Church, which has been meeting downtown, previously in Stapleton and downtown. And we started this merger with this conviction, a belief that we, in this kind of desire to see a gospel movement throughout the city of Denver, could do this better together than we could apart. And we believe that. We, we genuinely believe that the things we can do together uh, as one church and multiple congregations is a beautiful opportunity to pursue a gospel movement throughout Denver. And I think we've been seeing God do beautiful things. If you're here on Sundays worshiping with us, if you're involved in community, if you're involved in the ways we're trying to serve and love the city, you've experienced that. I think everybody as a part of this community has experienced the beauty and the goodness of God at work in and through this congregation. We think that's beautiful. Uh, we also know and knew kind of leading into a merger that it could and would lead to challenges. That's kind of expected, and we just want to be a culture where when we feel those challenges, we lean into them together. I think healthy churches, healthy communities, healthy families, when you feel challenges, you don't tuck underneath them or hide them away. You lean into those, and we've felt some of that. Uh, we felt some of the challenges. Some of you haven't felt any of that. Some of you felt just, man, I love this place. My heart's resonating and growing. All of you feel that to some degree, but some of you have felt challenges in different ways. Whether you came from Grace City and, and things aren't exactly the way you thought they were going to be or there's been challenges that have been different, we understand that. Maybe you come from Park and some of what we had talked about and envisioned, you're not feeling it happening exactly. Uh, we understand that. We see some of that. And we want to be a, a community that's saying we're going to lean into that together. Like a healthy marriage, healthy relationships, a healthy community. We just lean into those opportunities to grow. And I don't mean that as a cliche. That's just a healthy way to live, to pay attention to the hard things and to lean in. And so as we've kind of walked through that, uh, some of the challenges we've faced, we just thought, man, we need to get some outside help to work through some of this. And there are a number of things. There are things in our leadership team culturally that I think we're trying to grow in. There are a number of things that each of us need to grow in. I see some stuff as we led into this, things I don't think I paid adequate attention to, things that our leadership team I don't think led through well, and we're trying to be receptive and trying to be open to the areas where we need to grow. And there are a lot of areas, and that's normal. That's normal church, and it's hard. It's hard to be a community where there's brokenness and there's pain, there's mistakes, and there's difficulty, there's tensions. It's hard. I feel that. I feel that I've been in kind of pastoral ministry long enough to have felt it in different ways. Sometimes it's really healing and restorative and leads to growth, and sometimes it's really challenging. And so as we've walked through this process, what we kind of shared in the email, as a part of a process aimed at growth and development, uh, we're asking Matt, and Matt's going to be taking two months to be taking a break from pastoral responsibilities to work on some areas of development for him. He's not the only one growing. We're all having to work on growing in different ways in different areas, and we care a lot about that. 
This isn't in any way punitive. This isn't in any way like a discipline. We're not talking about a sin issue that's this kind of immorality or some secret thing. We're not trying to do anything like that. We're trying to create space to work on areas of growth. I've, had to need, I've needed in my own journey as a leader space to work on areas of growth. And I've had people around me that loved me, challenged me, cared for me, walked with me through seasons of growth as a pastor and a leader. A lot of people on our team have needed that. We don't think that's a crazy and doesn't have to be a stigmatized thing. I also know that sending an email on a Friday like leaves you with, wait, what happened? And what's going on? And what does this mean? And what's happening behind the scenes? I know that. I know that. And so we just want to create a space where just to say, hey, we're, we're not going to kind of answer all those questions and try to walk through every detail of things that are happening, things we're facing, but just to say there's no immorality, there's no secret sin, there's nothing disqualifying. We're talking about areas where we need to grow as pastoral leaders. None of that kind of discounts or diminishes the fruitfulness of what the pastoral team downtown with Matt and Miguel and Richard have been doing. None of that discounts the fruit of the Spirit at work in and through them and in and through this congregation. What God is doing here is beautiful. It really is. Every time I get to worship with you all, be down here, my heart is encouraged. I feel fed. I feel like connected. The familial environment here is beautiful. And it's part of that familial environment that makes moments like this hard because you care so deeply. You care so deeply for one another. You love one another. You care about one another, and you care about this church. And I do too, and our pastoral team does too. And that is the motivation behind what we're walking through, is a deep care for the health of our leaders, for the health of our team, and for the health of this church. But I also know, again, it can raise questions. And so what we're wanting to do is just lead as best we can through this as a team, where we're going to lean into that. But I would just say up front, we're probably not going to be creating space where we're like, hey, here's all the things that happen in every way. There's just, there's so many different things that we're working through, normal things, hard things, challenging things at times. But these are things that we know that we can grow in and that we're working to develop and build health through. And so I'm asking, and this time I'm going to have Matt share for a moment, but just that you'd do your best to fight to lean into those questions. I respect the questions. I respect the difficulty of this moment for a congregation. For those of you that have been connected to Matt and Marty for a long time, to the Hand family, I said in the email, uh, you know, we're grateful for his years of faithful pastoral service. That wasn't like a kind of, and he's done. That was just, no, we're just grateful for how faithful he's been. And so many of you have, have benefited from his faithful pastoral service. We see that and we want to honor that and, and celebrate that faithfulness even while we work together towards growth. And so I'm going to have Matt share for a moment and then uh, I'm going to pray for him. We're going to sing a couple songs. Uh, and then after the service, we just have some elders that are going to be around just to answer questions. We're going to create more space a week from now as you process and you, well, what about and what's going on with this? We get that. Uh, we walk through seasons like this that are hard, and we want to create as much space as we can to answer the questions. I just invite you to lean in with those questions. We love Matt. Love this man. I've grown from him. I've learned from him. Watching the way he's walked through some of the conversations we've had over the past couple weeks has been super encouraging to me and shows the humility and the character that I really appreciate, and, uh, and we love that. We see that. So I'm going to have Matt share for a moment, and I'm going to pray for him. And then uh, we'll close the service and we'll have our, a group of elders just around to answer questions. And then more time a week from today after the service to kind of create more space to answer the questions that come up as we walk through it. And so here you go, Matt. Hi, I'm Matt. I'm the aforementioned Matt. I wrote down a couple of notes in case I get lost. Um, actually, like when I first walked in, like my first empathy is toward like if you're new here, um, if you're like not yet a follower of Jesus and you're like, what is church about? And you came today and you're like, oh, shoot. Like, actually, what I, what I think I'm going to say, I hope encourages you. I hope it encourages you. I hope you, you feel closer to 
God and feel like this is a community where you could get the kind of help and encouragement you need, okay? Um, just to say a little bit about the merger from my perspective, technically, there are books written on this, it's called an adoption merger. So the idea is like a, a bigger, more complex organization, because church is an organization as well as like a family. It is. So they adopt a smaller and less complex organization, okay? So that comes with all its challenges of like, as a leader, like what are you, what are you giving up to be part of something bigger than yourself? Um, more colloquially, as people ask me like what my experience is like, I'm like, um, the analogy I use is blended families. So imagine two people with pre-existing families and they decide to get married. And at the very same time, they're adopting new kids every single week, okay? So that would be a lot of complexities. Um, my immediate family has adoption where there are three natural born children and one adopted child. And just watching the complexities that they walk through because they're family and some of them are natural born, they've been around for a long time, some of them are brand new, it's just hard. And uh, now eight months into this, we've kind of like settled into some habits and patterns. And as Gary mentioned, a lot of those are really healthy and beautiful and some of your experience, I know because you texted me the last couple of days, is like, I don't know what he's talking, like what's, you know, what's going on? You feel this apprehension and that's real. Um, others of you see things and things that you want to have changed, you want to make better and we want to make better. So Gary comes back from sabbatical just as part of a 360 of like, what's happening downtown? What's good? What's healthy? What's not? Um, you know, I'm leaning into that process with everybody else. And, uh, you know, we've just targeted areas where we want to see growth. And um, one, of, one of my favorite counseling books um, from Paul Tripp, he describes the church as basically people in need of change, helping people in need of change. Okay? So that's who we are. Like your leaders, a, a pastor, an elder, a a, a the park kids teacher, all these different volunteers, whether we're staff or paid or volunteers, it's not like they're, they're in leadership because like we or I have it all figured out and have it together. We are people in need of change, helping people in need of change. And that's what the church is. That's what a healthy church is, okay? So I'm just, I'm just saying that, the, the, as Gary said, this does not have to be shocking and it doesn't have to be painful. Like just like there would be there would be sin, there would be misunderstandings, there would be confusion, there would be hurt in an adoption or in a blended family. Um, that's, that happens, and we're working through it. I think that's healthy. Um, one of the strengths of our church is that we have a whole team of pastors and elders who shepherd together, who teach together, who lead together. Okay, So this affords me an opportunity that I didn't have a year or two ago to step away and to do some very focused, personal and professional development, okay? Again, it's something that shouldn't be shocking, and I wanna kind of, as a, as a pastor and as a counselor, I want to do my part to help destigmatize, like, oh, he's going to counseling, I am, you know? He's doing stuff for his mental and spiritual health, I am. And I, I wish that, you know, hopefully Park is that place where it's just like, there's no stigma to that, because we've either arrived or we're still in need of transformation into the likeness of Jesus, and I want to receive this as the gift that it is from my church to be able to get away, and some of that is with Marty, and to go to Tennessee and to talk to some of the people, um, again, personal and professional development, um, and, and receive that um, as the gift. So in the meantime, let me just close with this. I'm praying for you all. Um, 
particularly 1 Peter 5.8 that the, the Lord keeps putting on my heart. Just be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's the adversary. Um, the Bible tells us what tricks he's up to, you know. He, is, he sows doubt. He sows confusion. He sows frustration. He sows accusations. He's called the accuser of believers, okay? Gossip, slander, frustration, venting, all of that you can look at and take a step back and just say, those are seeds of the adversary to rip apart. And I'm just asking every one of you to take this same season and say, God, I want to be intentional about sowing like the fruits of the Spirit. I want to sow love here, compassion, um, forgiveness. Um, where I have opportunities to, to, to have attitudes and actions and reactions and words, I want to speak words that are building up, that are bringing together, instead of tearing down and pulling apart. Um, Marty is not here. My, my boys are not here. Maddie's here. She works in the coffee shop. Many of you know her. Um, so I just want to say over these next couple months, th this is my perspective. Um, I'll talk to you. I hope you still like treat me like a friend and like we can talk and you can ask questions. Um, I want to be clear up front. Um, this isn't a Matt church or a Miguel church. This is not Grace City people and Park people. This is not Park Downtown versus Park Highlands. If you come to me, I'm not going to try to build a case. I'm not going to try to build a coalition. Um, I, I want to come back to something that's healthier than what I left, and I want to come back healthier than when I left. Okay, so if we could all work toward that, that would be really amazing and would be a huge answer to prayer, that we are building together in unity. Um, just lastly, I, I came from a congregation, as many of you know, um, where I knew literally every single person, and I knew all your kids' names, and I knew where you lived. That sounds creepier than I intended. I, <laughs> I know where you live. Um, I, I, I knew your vocations. I knew something going on in your lives. And Grace City people feel a distance from me that's been hard um, because there's a lot more people to shepherd. Some new people are like, man, I didn't get as close to you as I thought I would get, as fast as I would get, and that's been hard. So I just want to acknowledge that. Like, I, I love every single one of you. I'm all in on Park Church downtown. It's just different, and, and my relationships look very different. And so, I mean, I think part of what I need to learn is, like, how do I express that love and listen in a new way for a much broader congregation, a much larger and faster-growing congregation? Um, so I'm up for all of that, and I just want you to hear from me. Like, while we're away and our plan is to come back, hit the ground running with you the first of the year, and just dive right back into ministry. We've got a lot of amazing things planned, including some new community engagement stuff. We've got a big thing here on the 20th. Um, so anyway, um, love you, care about you, we're praying for you as you're praying for us, and uh, genuinely, like, we will, we will miss you, um, but we're going to focus on this season, what God has for us, um, submit to our leadership and their advice and recommendations, and uh, like I say, come back and be all in on running together, all right, love you all. Let's, um, if you just want to extend a hand, we're going to pray for Matt, uh, but also praying for our team and Park Church downtown. Pray for all of you. So would you join me as we go before the God of grace? Um, Jesus, we come right now and, uh, and just love that you are the God of grace. Uh, you are the God of grace. And so I pray your grace would abound in these moments over this congregation, over uh, the people. I pray that your grace would abound for Matt and Marty and for our team as we continue to work towards growth and health 
uh, as we think about uh, what you're calling us to uh, here in, in this space with this people in this time, uh, really do feel what we felt months ago, that you've called us into these times for such a time as this, that there are opportunities to love and serve, to worship, to grow, uh, to care for this city, and to see your kingdom move forward, and we want to see that. So would you protect us from the evil one? Would your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Would you pour out grace uh, in this season for Matt and for uh, Marty and for their uh, family? Would you pour out grace uh, on all of us as we seek to lean towards one another, as we seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Would you bind us up? Would you help us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? Help us to press in with love and patience and understanding. Even where we make mistakes or stumble through this, would we would we learn to show grace to one another, that this community be a community that we celebrate your grace towards us and towards one another. And so we pray for your spirit to protect us in this time, to actually grow us in this time, and even where we feel pain, that we'd feel it as pruning. Uh, for a congregation that's bearing beautiful fruit, that you'd prune us to bear more fruit for your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.